Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcast. In this episode, we will be talking about purpose and peaceful transformation. And I am delighted to welcome Manda Apter, Executive Director of Cities for Peace. Manda, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Manda, you're a recognized thought leader in social innovation, and you've been studying, practicing, and teaching meditation for that amount of time for the International Association of Human Values and the Art of Living Foundation. You're also known for your work previously in Shell and the program that you put in place there, which has been named as a game changer. And I know you won uh, some awards for that, the Accenture Astrocare Entrepreneurship Award and and things like that. But the program was looking to go beyond CSR, beyond the boundaries, I like to say, of, of what we measure in organizations and business today. And look at purpose, peace, but also recalibrating what I call our inner game to bring peace into the world, but through more purposeful and peaceful leadership. So I know that at the heart of your innovation program that you did in Shell, you were on the belief that silence is the mother of all creativity. Absolutely. And I think silence is something we're bad at as, as a nation and as a society, but also that each individual employee can play a role in this innovation process, just as each human, Manda, can play a role in the peace-building process, and that it's a journey (laughs) and not a destination, which, again, doesn't fit in with ticking things off a checklist and getting things done and getting to where we want to get to if I take a sort of binary, more delivery-oriented mindset. So can we start with what you started as a movement at Shell? (laughs) And can you tell us about this program and why you did that? Yeah, firstly, Susie, thanks uh, for all the things you are doing during the pandemic. And uh, when Mm -hmm. we met, you also shared how you are not ignoring your own family life, which is uh, equally crucial. Absolutely. And your own well-being and self-care. So that's where I resonate with you very deeply. Mm. About 10 years ago, while I was in the Shell Game Changer program, I realized that like any other company, Shell had uh, an incubator called mm. Game Changer. And uh, like every uh, industry, Shell's incubator was sponsoring programs, projects, ideas in the energy space. Mm. And uh, what I realized, uh, two things uh, was the first is innovation is not just a technology game. Most mm. of the times, it's also very social and mental. Like, mm. for example, you have an idea, but you don't know how to uh, pitch it. Yeah. Or uh, your idea gets rejected because people don't like you. And mm. it's nothing to do with the idea. Mm. And uh, things like failure, like, you know, when you are trying something new, failure is associated like it's the tail of your uh, shadow. Yeah. So how do you deal with failure? None of these things are taught in engineering curriculums because no. uh, we are taught how to be successful. But Mm. we are not taught how to deal with failure, anxiety, frustration, right? So Mm. this is where the socio-emotional dimension comes in for innovation and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I realized is uh, companies like Shell, because we are in the world, we are also seeing the impact of social degradation, environmental degradation on our own people and our own businesses. So what I realized is Shell's innovation program, which is energy technology, needs to be expanded 
to also address the interface of society and business. Mm. So can we also deal with social projects, social innovations, but not philanthropic investments, not money going out, mm. only to create CSR value, indirect value. But can you invest in social solutions that also create business return on investment, so direct value? Mm. So those are the two things that I was thinking about 10 years ago. And uh, I had a very enlightened uh, manager, boss, friend, mm. philosopher, right? <laughs> Without that person, you can't do what you want to do, right? You need this mm, air cover. Absolutely. Mm. So yeah. I just was lucky. He encouraged me to uh, look at the socio-emotional dimension. Mm-hmm. And that is where uh, the Empower program is what I gave birth to within Shell. Is to look at uh, employees within the company, how everybody can become part of the innovation culture. Mm-hmm. Because innovation is not just about create, coming up with sexy ideas, right? Yeah, absolutely. It needs a huge ecosystem to bring that idea to the marketplace. Mm. Yeah, and you need the social and emotional dimension to manage the and relationships. You need the social and emotional dimension, right? So, for example, when you ask in any organization, hey, what is innovation? People will say, it's not my job, it's the job of the scientist. Yeah. And so that is where the disconnect disconnect starts. That okay, you may be an admin, mm. but you should know what is innovation and how mm. you can play a role, mm. right? So, for example, if you may be on a holiday in I don't know Beijing mm. or uh, Kuala Lumpur, and on that holiday you have seen something different, right? Maybe a competitor is doing something different mm. in that market. You should feel empowered that, hey, I'm going to bring that to the retail organization of my company, Shell. I'm Mm. I'm going to tell it. Mm. You have played a huge role of connecting the dots. Mm. Right? So these are men. There are many such roles that people in the organization can play. But what they need is the sense of empowerment. And that's where it begins within. Mm. It comes from within. You have to overcome your fear. Yeah. uh, Oh, I'm just an admin. Yeah. What can I do in the innovation process? Mm. Right. So then you have to overcome that hurdle of firstly what it means and how I can be involved. Mm. And then you have to step out of your organizational identi- identity in terms of silos, don't you? So if I'm admin, then I don't do innovation. Innovation happens in a different silo. And then, you know, procurement happens in a different silo from innovation. And then, you know, there's also this understanding that the definition of success as defined by KPIs, delivery KPIs and other things is everybody's definition of success. So what, what happened in the empowerment process around how they define success, Manda, and how they get to stepping out of essentially their the way they perceive their identity in that organization? So you are addressing two, again, two different uh, things. Mm, yeah. You're saying one is the personal empowerment that... Yeah. You know, last year I tried something and it failed, but all I got was a slap on my wrist. Mm-hmm. So this year, I'm not going to try anything new because what's the point? Nobody appreciates failure here. So I'm not going to try something new this year. So yeah. that is how you make people feel constrained. Yeah. Mm. And the second thought I had while you were speaking is usually, usually, we live a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde life. 
So we are, let's say, an engineer at the workplace, but we love to plant trees or we, I don't know, we do gardening in the Mm. evenings. So that is where when you create that social impact innovation incubator, Mm. you are also asking your employee, hey, are there any ideas that you are working on in your own personal life, your passion? That seemingly has nothing to do with Shell in your day job today. But in the broader game, that passion can be leveraged in creating new value. So that Mm. is where the social incubator can invite employees to bring their passion at work. Mm. Mm. Right. That's why uh, today this is uh, the thinking that uh, we know Mm. That after COVID, there is this large resignation. People are feeling disconnected, not engaged at the workplace. This is how you can actually retain your talent by giving people opportunities to bring their passion at work. Yeah. And I was saying, I love the word talent. I was just about to say that is about untapped potential in an organization, isn't it? And unlocking talent that isn't visible for whatever reason which brings me back to the, your first point about energy, because that will also release a lot of positive energy if I'm working on my passion. Two words come to mind. One is unleash. Yeah. <laughs> and the second is you will uh, get out of your own shell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that play on which words. Is what, which is what happened to me. So I also had my key moment of truth while I was running this incubator program. Mm-hmm. Is uh, we were looking at uh, the interface of various sustainable development goals mm. and what does it have to do with the business model for Shell. Mm. So mm. we were looking at uh, SDG number 16, which is yeah. peace and security. And uh, usually business doesn't play a role in that space. Mm. Right? Business says, what's in it for me? Like, uh, I'm not responsible for it. It's the job of the UN or Mm. the uh, police department or NGOs. Like it's nothing to do with business. Mm. So that is where accidentally we found a business case for why company like Shell should invest in peace building. Yeah. Not only for social good, but also for the financial return. I'm hearing Mandar and I I thought this as I went through your program and I, I read more about what you do. Is peace a mindset for you? And and if it is, how can we cultivate it? I think peace is our very nature. So Mm -hmm. peace is our very nature. And we don't need to do anything to cultivate peace, but we need to do something to manage our negative emotions. Okay. Things that take us away from our nature, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, we become angry, frustrated, sad, jealous, All these emotions or state of mind Mm. takes us away from the nature we have, which is peace. Mm. So, Mm. for example, I'm sure, you know, whenever we become frustrated or angry or jealous or all these negative emotions, do we enjoy in those state of mind? Do we say, wow, today I became angry? Mm. No. What do we do when when we have that anger? We say, guys, leave me alone. I'm not feeling well today. Mm. Because we want to go back to that nature, the nature of peace, calmness, happiness, contentment, right? So that's a clue that peace is your nature. That's why when you are not in your nature, you don't feel good. Mm. And is that why you set up Cities for Peace? What is the vision there? And I'm hearing that. So that's where, uh, you know, whenever we are in the grip of the negative emotion, Mm -hmm. 
grip of the negative emotion uh, some people know how to cope with it some people don't know how to cope with it and so that is where violence begins so mm. violence begins when you are not able to manage your negative emotion mm. Mm. right so either you will be violent towards yourself so you might say hey i'm actually i'm not a good guy or you know i, I don't know i don't feel good about myself so this is the source of depression and anxiety is being violent towards yourself at the level of the thought right yeah and being aware of are... being aware of that manda because often we are violent with ourselves and very critical and we don't we're not aware of it we are not aware of it and the second <laughs> way when you are in the grip of the negative emotion is you are angry at somebody else so you speak mm. bad words or you do some bad things so if you look at violence uh, most of the violence is actually curable mm. right most of the mm. violence i'm not saying all of the violence mm. Mm. so most of the violence is curable if you treat it as a public health issue it's a health and well-being issue and that is where you we need to provide access to mental wellness solutions mm-hmm. as early as possible in our education systems Absolutely. so that a child knows what to do when they are angry what to mm. do when they are frustrated mm. what to do when they somebody has blamed them yeah this access to this knowledge of dealing with the mind is where i felt peace begins mm. right and then the second step is how do you bring that peace in action yeah because you've done some incredible work around violence with gangs and and the police and you know societal level um organizations that are dealing with violence all the time uh, both internal right. violence but also violence in external systems and violence is radical isn't it it's a radical thing and what does a radical wellness solution look like mandar because often it's seen as fluffy stuff and if somebody said to me oh if you breathe properly that you know it will eradicate violence if you meditate it will eradicate violence clearly i believe it can but how do you get people into that space of actually taking that on board yeah so i think it's any change makers dilemma is uh, not everybody will come on board with you if you have a different idea right yeah of course so first is you find your allies first mm-hmm. you find people who like you who trust you mm. who are willing to give you the space to try something and that for me was uh, the los angeles uh, assistant chief of police yeah when uh, i was looking at the business of violence so i was looking at one homicide happening in the city of los angeles mm. and all the dominoes that need to you know fall in place Mm. if you calculate the cost of all these actions that happen after a murder mm. uh, like you need to put uh, sergeant detectives to find the murderer book them in jail the prison time the jury time it comes to about a million dollars per homicide uh-huh. and there are roughly 400 homicides roughly plus minus so there's your business case so that's a huge business case like mm. you're spending money on violence so that was my proposal and it was it could have been like brushed away but this man was interested in reducing violence because you know when violence happens it affects everybody it's not just in that community mm. violence today happens anywhere it happens anytime 
it can happen in my neighborhood school yeah and so this uh, person was you know looking for new ways of dealing with the violence and the trauma associated with it. so that is where uh, the first project of cities for peace came about is we uh, brought seemingly different people stakeholders like gang members victims of gang violence and the police officers they usually don't hang out with each other right no clearly Yeah. So that is where we felt. Hey, let's bring everybody together and mm-hmm. let's uh, go through a boot camp on trauma and well-being. Because when you are in any violent situation or neighborhood, everybody there is traumatized. Yeah. And so that is where the first project of the Cities for Peace uh, venture started. Is uh, looking at gang violence and transforming the gang leader into becoming an ambassador of peace. because you know those gang leaders they have a lot of influence they are also a leader yeah of course yeah, yeah giving them a vision of peace and well being for their own community for their own neighborhoods mm. is when they latch on to that vision and they then become the ambassador of peace that is mm. how uh, we feel violence will reduce is when influential leaders start relooking at what is missing in their neighborhoods mm. what is leading to violence in the first place and when you look at it it's not very difficult it is you know access to well being is missing access to good food is missing access to education is missing financial solutions is missing so because they don't have this they get into drugs and selling mm. of the drugs and then mm. crime and all this starts mm. happening Mm. so that was you know where i felt like the police chief of los angeles was actually the visionary leader who trusted my solution and mm. that's very important uh, you know for your own uh, growth is yeah. how much time is a leader putting for trying out new things mm. right so that is where uh, we need to learn that not everything will be perfect on day one right no which is and the innovation so, uh, mindset isn't it <laughs> a leader yeah a leader needs to know that ideas will be imperfect mm. so we need to deal with it in a different space like for example you know we all have trash in our homes mm. and we put a trash bin we decorate a nice trash bin and we put that trash in that trash bin every day mm. but we dump it out once every day or once every week so similarly in our mind we should have some space for imperfection mm-hmm. and that is where you can say it differentiates you from a good leader and an average leader mm-hmm. is how many times are you allowing people to try new things because the world is in need of radical solutions right we oh, yes. talked about radical violence that yeah. violence doesn't have to be gang violence or street violence or gun violence it could even be violence that emanates in your own homes yeah of course right yeah. and that is where we have to allow ourselves for that time out especially now with the pandemic yeah we have no idea who has gone through what from absolutely so, absolutely and and, and we so need that's to, where yeah. a leader needs to assume mm. that my people my staff let me not wait for them to ask for you know i need a time out not feeling well let's assume everybody needs wellness and let's bring that wellness solution as part of our team meetings yeah and if i go back to team meetings and checklists let's make it on the top of every checklist how are my people feeling how am i feeling how are they checking in because there is a certain amount of 
anticipation that can be had intentionally, isn't there, by putting this type of solution into developmental practice, whether that be in your home or in your society or community, or we're talking here about teams in your organization. But how long, what was their first reaction, these leaders, to you suggesting a radically different solution, Manda? And what's your biggest learning there about taking somebody from one polar opposite to the other? Uh, Actually, again, I lucked out because the people that I met, I met with the gang leader of the Bloods gang. Mm. When I was walking on the streets of LA, I was told that, hey, this is the leader. If you influence him, then you can work in that neighborhood. So I just took him for five minutes and I trained him in one of the exercises that we teach that you also know. Oh, yes, the breathing exercise. This man, you know, 25 years in prison, very big, six foot macho man, Mm. did this exercise with me. And after three rounds of this exercise, he opened his eyes and he said, this was good. And I said, Andre, try this for five days on your own. If you like it, I will buy you some Indian food. Uh, We will go for a nice Indian meal. So that's what I did to engage people is you give them a taste of inner well-being, inner peace and create a pull. Mm. Because, you know, inner peace, we assume, we take it for granted. Based on outer behaviors, we feel that this person is inner peace and happy. But that is where we are mistaken. Outer happiness or whatever expression of he doesn't mean anything in today's world. You have no. no idea what is the pain point in this person's life. Yeah, especially because social media, more and more so, are inciting us to look perfect on a screen and to pretend almost that we have a perfect life. It's a conversation I have quite a lot with my son around, you know, you don't have to pretend to be happy. What's important is that you are happy. And that's a very different discussion, isn't it? Because people wear masks all the time, and I understand why they do that, but particularly in tension environments like more violent environments they are constantly in this protection defensive mode of just armoring emotionally armoring themselves so that they don't have to step into a space where they don't feel happy yeah and you know let's uh, it's not just about the neighborhoods and the inner cities uh, this no, clearly. violence and trauma can be in very good neighborhoods yeah. it could be in very good organizations yeah, like Shell, it could be in people in positions like a vice president or a mm-hmm. senior vice president because you have no idea no. whether that person's family or son or daughter is going through I don't know autism spectrum, yeah. COVID, yeah. Uh, depression, drugs. You have no idea. No, you never so know. That is where we have to create the space as a leader. Our job should be. We need to invest time in our own wellness. Mm. Second, we cannot assume that my organization, my team doesn't need it. We should Mm. be vulnerable to say, hey, I needed it. Mm. This is why I do whatever mental wellness meditation practices you do. Mm. So that you invite people to bring their own practice at the workplace. Yeah, and that you create the conditions. I will give you an example. Ten years ago, when I was uh, wanting to bring meditation at Shell, I met with the head of sustainable development. And she actually saw what I was doing. I was teaching breathing exercises at Shell. (laughs) 
and she invited me to her office. She was uh, number four in the leadership uh, board, okay. number four leader, head of sustainable development. And she closed the door and she said, I like what you're doing. I went through back surgery. I had an option of back surgery or yoga. I took yoga and I avoided back surgery, she said. And so she showed me her yoga mat in the headquarters, in the office room. And she said, wherever I travel, my yoga mat travels with me. Okay. My response to her was, will you be open to sharing this to all your staff? Because she has not shared that to her staff. Hmm. And so that is where we have to begin. We have to look at our own well-being and natural ways of well-being. Yoga, meditation, like the world is now doing it. It's not 10 years ago. It's now 2023. Everybody mm. is doing it. There are apps. There are so many uh, you know, people doing neuroscience research. So we have to try that out as a leader for our own fatigue management or whatever mm. energy management. Mm. But that's not enough. The second thing a leader needs to do is create the space where yes. he or she needs to make herself vulnerable and invite people to manage their own wellness. Mm. Yeah, and creating the permission in an organizational creating context. The yeah. yeah, yeah. Even deeper is what we did at Shell. Integrate wellness as part of a learning program on innovation. Yeah, and as part of leadership development programs and innovation programs and everything to do with creating the conditions, which I think is a leader's job, for the teams and organization to thrive. And therefore, yeah, and for business actually, you know, to thrive. You know what I mean? Uh, like, I feel like safety, like you worked at Airbus. Mm. Safety is given such a big deal in mm. the shells of the world and mm. the goings at the Airbus. Of course, the of course, yeah. Right? So we had this uh, culture at Shell where you had to hold the handrail whenever you were walking down. Ah, the yes. Stairs. Yeah. Okay. So if we can give such a big deal to the physical participation in a wellness uh, safety culture. Yeah. Why not the mental aspect of wellness in uh, maintaining higher alertness to create the behavioral safety? You mm. know what I mean? Like mm. you're, you may be walking with a hand on the handrail, but your mind may not be there. Your mind mm. may be stuck on some negative in incident that is bugging you. Yeah. Yeah. So this aspect of uh, inner peace, inner wellness, if you associate a cost Mm. of not doing it yes then there is a huge cost if there is a fatality if there is a accidental you know mistake then the cost of not being self-aware not being behaviorally present yeah is taxed up to a whole lot so you might as well inject some of this training as part of the safety training programs is what i was doing actually yes exactly and that's also what they're doing in airbus in in terms of looking at you know, freeing in inverted commas this emotional layer of culture, and therefore Correct. the 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 mental and almost spiritual well being of the people who work in the organization. Because I think leaders and change makers very often ignore their own health and mental well being for the collective good of what they're doing. Right. Or oh, that's my observation. What are your thoughts around that, Mandram? What recommendations would you have from everything you've done for those leaders and change makers who are so passionate about what they do that they're completely stepping over their own needs? Yeah, I think that that happens a lot because, yeah. like, it could be not just a business leader; it could be also a community uh, activist, yeah, of course, a social activist. 
their whole body mind complex and spirit is involved in helping other people yeah. right so that same thing may be true for a passionate leader who is passionate about his organization is 24/7 they are focused on how to make their organization better and whatever rankings and mm. all that is great but it should not be at a cost of your own wellness because if you lose that inner wellness factor mm. then that shows up in your own health stress related ailments show up and more importantly it shows up in your family and relationships yeah yeah right so for example you may be the ceo at a young age you have achieved amazing things at a young age that also means you have a small family that you are raising mm. and imagine the misery of not spending enough time with your kid while growing up mm. why because you wanted to put all your attention on building your organization yeah now you may not realize it but 20 years later when the kid will say hey i, I don't know my dad mm. my dad was never at home mm. Mm. right so that is where uh, it will bite us at the end on a well being personal wellness front like you might have stress related ailments and then you will discover that oh my god i should have integrated uh, a healthy lifestyle healthy mm. food mm. i was busy but that mm. will pinch you later on right so that is where today uh, we need to have a balance mm. and i think the busyness thing is the myth of you know what what business brings to you i mean you at the beginning of the conversation you were talking about what i did during covid for my family and and my sort of friends and also my clients but I, but i think i really had time to think deeply about what legacy i want to leave as an individual leader manda but also you know my quest to create more human centered systems whether that's in an organization or in communities or in my family and i think that's really shifted two things for me one my practice on mental health and well-being for me and also how much time i spend in each part of of that life and the fact that one of one of the backbones of it has to be people thriving and for yeah. people around me to thrive i need to intentionally be understanding how i thrive and reading the systems that i work in to make sure that i can leverage other people thriving so i think that was my biggest lesson out of out of covid was to try and anticipate we don't know the damage yet we don't know what's happening in people's minds and we never know what's happening in people's minds like you say so which is why i always say to my son you know always be kind you never know what's happening behind the screen or behind the face or you know so the legacy part which is what i really resonate with in what you did in shell but in cities for peace and 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 what you've been doing in society for you know creating peace peaceful leadership as a, as opposed to sort of command and control more autocratic leadership I think the legacy piece for me is huge and I'd be very interested in your thoughts on the legacy piece coming out of your experiments with the LA police department and the gang leaders and what you did at Shell as an organizational level. You know uh, after a certain point of time we do need to think about okay I'm not going to be here for eternity yeah. right so what am I actually leaving behind is my legacy right it's yeah. my social footprint and yeah, i like that yeah social uh, footprint it, it doesn't have to be a huge mountain like the himalaya words of <laughs> legacy 
right? So that is where uh, there is no need to compare my legacy with other people's legacy. Absolutely. And so that is where I feel like you need to be grounded in your own culture, traditions, values. And uh, were you able to create experiences for other people that they will remember? Mm. So that is where the personal touch, a leader needs to always make sure that the person that is coming to them with a problem, do they go out of your office feeling contented, feeling happy, right? I think that is where an average leader and a great leader, that's the difference, is the Mm. personal touch. Mm. So sometimes people are not interested in your solutions. Sometimes yeah. people are just interested in being heard. Mm, of course. Right? They know how to figure it out. So what are you doing to empower them to figure it out? Mm. Mm. Right. So sometimes your legacy, which is, is a, bu- a big buzzword, just like purpose, mm. is, uh, we don't need to worry too much about it. Your actions and your uh, you know experiences that you create for other people will carry the story forward. Like you don't mm. need to put too much effort into thinking, what should be my legacy? What should be my purpose? Yeah. Am I doing my purpose? Mm. Because yeah, sometimes purpose, like I, like you have also said, it's not a destination, right? It's a mm. journey. Mm. And in that journey, there are detours, there are timeouts, there is a food court, you stop and you eat. Mm. So it's all these things add to discovering yourself, discovering your purpose, discovering your legacy also. Mm. And I think we're back to the power of presence, aren't we? Being present in the present moment to who you are and to who you're with. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you help leaders and people become present, Manda? Again, this is a big buzzword. So presence, presence, presence. There are books written about it. But the way I explain it is... You know, when you stand on the street, you're standing on the street and traffic is moving on the street. You are awake, your eyes are open, you are hearing the sounds. But what is the prerequisite for you to say traffic is moving on the street? And that prerequisite is that you are not moving with respect to the traffic. Hmm. You are stationary. And only when there is something stationary, it's able to detect the change, right? So it's uh, physics 101 that if you detect change, that means relative motion, there needs to be something that is stationary. Does that make sense? It does make sense completely, yeah. And I like this how simple that analogy is. If two people, if two cars are moving at the same speed and you look outside, there is no relative motion. So you will feel that nothing's moving. Mm -hmm. So to, to detect change, you need a reference point that is not moving. This is the Einstein 101 theory of relativity, <laughs> yeah. right? one of basic physics. So now in our own life, have we observed that our body has changed over time? Yes. Do you observe that your thoughts change? Yes. Your feelings change? Yes. That means there is something in you that is not changing. Mm. It is observing the change. Mm. And it is telling you, yes, my thoughts changed. Yes, I was not feeling well yesterday. Today I'm feeling good. Mm. This word, this unchanging aspect of your own existence, you can label that word as consciousness, 
presence, mm. self, energy, force, whatever you believe and you call it, right? Mm. So that presence is part of you. You are having it all the time. So it's not like, oh, you need to do something to be present. Mm. No, of course. Right? So that awareness, you can even call it awareness. You can even refer to it as a witness. It is witnessing. Mm. That consciousness is always alive. All you have to do is put the seeds, water, sunlight, so that that conscious aspect of you is alert more and more and more. Mm. That is what is meant by self-awareness. Mm. Presence. Mm. Is your actions are self-aware. What does it mean? It comes out of that witness of, hey, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. we become a victim and a slave of the emotions. Mm. Somebody speaks bad to you, you feel, uh, you know, I'm not feeling well because she said bad to me. Mm. Yeah, when it's being intentional, yeah. isn't it? About noticing yeah. your own system. That, that consciousness, when, which shrinks when somebody blames you, you become angry, mm. something in you feels shrunk. Yeah. At the same time, somebody praises you that same consciousness flowers like, ah, oh, feels so good. She praised me. Mm. This study of this, what shrinks and what blossoms, mm. that study is more important for a leader. Mm. That consciousness, that is again the witness, spending time with that witness is meditation practice. So that is where, you know, whenever you do are doing breathing exercises, it's the gap between the exercise or at the end of the exercise where mm. you are just present. And the more time you spend in that presence, the more healed you become, the more wise you become, the more mm. compassionate you become. Because the nature of the presence, consciousness, is love, is compassion, is mm. awareness. Mm. is beauty right so that is what we need to do every day as a daily habit just like you brush your teeth every day mm. you need to be more and more present observing yourself for 5 minutes 10 minutes as you go ahead maybe 20 minutes mm. a day that is what is recommended for you to recalibrate and it's interesting because of course before the show we were chatting and you gave me a breathing exercise and said why don't you yeah. do that for 10 days before the show uh, which I did and it's exactly that. And there's lots of different things I could say about that exercise in terms of how I didn't feel my arms at all after three or four times and it just became habit. Um, but it felt very different when my mind just tuned in and sat with the silence that was created. So I stopped counting Mandar, 15 counts, wait for this, wait for that. I, I just didn't, I just did what I felt was what I needed to do. And then I started to sit for longer and longer periods of time without noticing it. I only noticed it when I opened my eyes again and thought, oh, that's 15 minutes. And it's quite, it's, it's quite hard for me. Or should I say, I have a narrative that tells me it's quite hard for me to sit for 15 minutes and meditate. Uh, my meditation practice doesn't go over 20 minutes because, because I, I just get distracted. So I was thinking, you know, what's happening here? And it is that calm silence. I come back to your thing around silence is the mother of creativity because I've had some great ideas during, during my sort of five or 10 minutes silence afterwards. And 
And it's like my intuition is popping in, say, hi, what about this? What about that? So that was my experience of your breathing exercise. Of course, I do yoga and I do Pilates, but I was very intentional about this. And I think that's the difference. I was really intentional about stepping back from it. And just you said to me, notice what you notice and don't try and figure it out, which, you know, my go to is to figure things out. So it was really interesting. So that's how, so that was my that was my experience of the breathing exercise that I did for ten days. And after three days, it became something very different. I, yeah, and the more you do it, the more it will flower. So just yes. allow that flowering to happen. Don't sit there thinking, you know what? I'm going to get more intuitive ideas. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's sitting yeah. with some intention, right? Yeah, yeah. Drop the intention. Yeah. Yeah. And just allow yourself to be in that space where you are open. Whatever mm. that consciousness is going to bring to you is what is meant for you that day. Exactly. Without having to write things down and oh, so it's a very liberating feeling. It's a us. very liberating yeah. feeling. Otherwise, it will become a lot of pressure. Like you yeah. know, yesterday, I got so many good ideas. Today, I didn't get anything. Mm. Why do you want everything every day? Like, you know, so you allow yourself to be natural, to be free. Mm. Uh, and if you like it, go deeper. I, I teach once a month. So this is what I think, uh, you know, I don't know why we didn't learn it while we were growing up in school, yeah. colleges. Mm. Because we do go through lots of anxiety, breakups, mm. failures, and, mm. uh, you know, social friends or mentors, they tell us, it's okay, time will pass, it will heal. But the person who's going through this is suffering. Yeah. Right? So these exercises, this knowledge of healing and meditation and consciousness allows you to heal more effectively. Yeah. Obviously, yes, time will heal things that we all know. But during the time where the impression, the negativity is happening to that person, there is a possibility that that person may go into smoking or drugs mm. or alcohol mm. or take revenge on other people, right? So that is where uh, through the work that we are doing now, through the Cities for Peace program, we are trying to influence leaders, both of the business world and the civic world, mm. uh, uh, that don't ignore the role of peace and inner peace mm. in the mindset of becoming more prosperous. Right? Mm. So more companies will invest in prosperity, like economic development. Mm. But peace and prosperity go together. Of course. Yeah. And so that is my request to whoever is watching this show is uh, look at your own purpose, individual purpose, organizational purpose, and uh, look at ways of what else can you do? What else can your organization do that solves problems? allows employees to come forward with ideas and uh, you know prosperity definitely uh, is important but uh, peace and prosperity go hand in hand one without the other is incomplete mm -hmm. i'm going to leave our listeners with that because i was going to ask you for if you had a final call to action and you've just given it without me asking so peace and prosperity go hand in hand Manda, thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories and your expertise and your insights where can people find out more about you about cities for peace and about what you do well, my website is mandarapte.net mm -hmm. and uh, cities, the number four, peace.org. Okay, super. And I will put that in the show notes so that people can go directly to that. Looking Thank forward you. to uh, our association collaboration yes. and friendship. Yes, me too. Thanks for a great conversation. We hope you enjoyed this episode and the insights and learning it gave you. 
And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.